right, we're back for another one. One more week down, one more week to go. It has been 17 weeks since well, we started this. It's, that's a lot longer than any relationship I've ever been in. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. Sorry, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> So, and to any other girlfriend that I've had that's been longer than 17 weeks. Yeah, we'll just nix her out of it. She doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so, on today's episode, we've got an OG in the, the strength world. Um, so, we've got Ed Jaskolski. He's my former college coach. Um, he was kind of my first introduction into the field of strength and conditioning. And to be honest, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if I had not worked with him for as long as I did. So, Ed, welcome. Welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Thanks for being here. Well, I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat as all of you. This is 17 weeks that when you put a number to it, um, it really, not that it's not real, but like that really that that hits it yep and um i mean just like you maggie coaching i was right in the middle of this i was actually in north carolina at division three track and field nationals for indoor um when the bottom fell out so we were down there uh we had a good handful of athletes with us that were ready to do some really big things and we got down there on Monday, and Tuesday we started having a lot of conversations. Like, I met with the, the NCAA committee, and I met with the facility manager, and it's like, are we really going to get this off? And everybody was very optimistic, and then things started canceling around us. And so I was on the phone with our athletic director and our associate athletic director and our assistant athletic director, and we're just going round and round. Like every couple hours, phone conversation, text message, phone conversation, text message. Is this going to go off? Is it not going to go off? And then um, Wednesday night, well, not even Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon, um, the facility manager came up to me because I knew her from years past she wasn't a coach at Fisher and she's like I'm gonna give you a heads up she's like it hasn't gone live on the website yet but they're about to cancel the meet and I'm like what and she's like yeah she's like just just so you're ready and then literally within 25 minutes there was a couple tweets that went out from the NCAA March Madness got canceled and then, bang, like, all collegiate sports canceled. And it was like, what? What, what just happened? Right. Like, this isn't real. Like, this isn't real. Like, we were about to start competing in 12 hours. And so it was, then it's like, went back to the hotel, and they're like, yeah, we already changed your flights. Uh, drive to the airport and come home. And we got back on Friday, and... Everything in New York, because we were in North Carolina, which was already a hotspot at that point, and 
we flew back to an empty airport, drove back to an empty campus, and just kind of went on break. Because uh, the Nationals lines up with spring break at Brockport. Right. So we, so we were going to be empty anyways, but in a matter of two days, all the kids were already home. So it's like, uh, I was in North Carolina. I had seven athletes with me, 115 athletes at home. My entire staff was with me in North Carolina. So we flew back, let those seven kids go, 115 kids plus the campus were already gone, and all employees had already pulled everything out of their office and gone home. It was it was like the Twilight Zone. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that is, that is wild to hear that, like, you think you're going to, like, one of the largest events of the year for you, and then you come back. And almost like devastation mode, you just come back to nothing. Oh, the, the, you, you hit it perfectly, Carly. The kids were devastated. Devastated. And, I mean, I had the number one shot putter in the country. I mean, he was going to win. Yeah. Um, Tony was the number one shot putter in the nation. Um, and then my girl shot putter freshman, Sarah. Um, I don't know... She got down there and just started vibing. The two days of practice, getting that upscale of competition just drew her up. And I mean, I don't know if she would have won, but I think she would have threw a high 14 meters. And to be an All-American as a freshman is just unreal. Like, like, I think she would have been in the hunt. She was vibing. And then Shanice Paul was going to place in the top five in the triple. Our guy, Egypt Page, was second in the long jump. Our other guy, Taj, would have placed in the triple. And then our girl, Paul Poulter, was going to push the win. So realistically, as a team, you guys had a very good chance of scoring. The, guy, and... the, the, the guys had a chance to maybe sneak into fourth place at podium. Wow. If the start... Yeah, so it was like um, Tony still. Like I, I talked to Tony often, and it took a it took a couple months for it to really settle in. Because Tony mean, was a senior, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the organization stepped up. The USATF CCCA, uh, USATF, USTF CCCA. Uh, stepped in and they named um, everyone who had qualified into the meet all American. So those kids at least get that that closure of that. Um, some of them are going to come back. There's been a big waiver put across from the NC2A, um, and Tony's going to come back. Good. Oh, that's gonna, good. He's going to do. He's going to do indoor and outdoor, provided that we have it. And I think he's just going to dominate everybody. Yeah. I, I think I think he'll be untouchable. Um, Shanice, Sarah, Maya is Maya's on the fence of returning. She's going into the medical field, so she wants to get going on her education. Um, I'm not sure on uh, Taj or Egypt, but... I think that's what's tough for some of these kids is 
because that's what I ran into with my senior, Hannah. I mean, she's deep in her PT clinicals. So it's like they can't, you know. Yeah, they have that option, but also they're starting to really pursue their professional degrees. And it's just not viable as an option. Well, that's the thing. And that's that's what's gonna, what you're going to start to see here as um, sports are starting to fall. The dominoes are falling across the country. These kids can't stay athletes forever, right? Um, because they can't stay they can't stay in school forever. Um, someone has to foot that bill, and I think that's part of the reason why Division One football is holding on as strong as it is right now um, because of just the business aspect of it. There's so much money invested in those kids um, with scholarships and just the back end of it that you don't realize of the business that Division One football has become. Um, there's so many moving parts that you can't just step in and be like, yep, yeah, season's done. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why the NFL is holding on so hard still, and that's why the NBA, the NHL, and the MLB, they're doing what they're doing. Like, So we were just talking about that before you hopped on. Um, what do you think is going to happen with the NFL this fall? Um, it's going to be hard to get through that season. Um, the, 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 the fortunate part for them is they can cut down to skeletons cap. There's only 50 something people on the roster that they need to keep. So if they're going to keep the in season roster and not worry about the practice squad and whatnot, um, you obviously have to make sure you maintain those people and not destroy them. But there's only 32 teams, so there's only 32 cities active. If you're operating with a skeleton crew, the same crew 24-7, that, and don't get me wrong, they monitor those people. Like, working in the NFL is like being tracked by the FBI. Like, they know what you're doing at all times. Especially and, when you sign a contract like Patrick Mahomes. Now, now you're <laughs> definitely yeah. under... Underwatch. Yeah, and I think they will be able to do a very good job of monitoring them. It's just I I I just don't foresee it finishing. Yeah. Um, so I agree. Uh, and a lot of guys have already started to drop out on their own. You're just not seeing it. Right. You're not hearing about, but. There's got there's players that have I'm not playing. I, I I don't care how much you find me. I don't care how much you penalize me. I'm not putting my family at risk to play this. Mm-hmm. And they're just opting out. And, and yeah, I'm sure there was a lot between baseball, hockey, and basketball that you didn't hear about because sure. all the stars opted in. If a couple big names had opted out. It would have been a melee, though. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, 
So I wanted to, I know that I'm obviously familiar with a bit of your backstory in terms of strength conditioning and even powerlifting, but um, I know that a lot of people who are going to be listening to this aren't. So I thought it would be kind of cool for you to just touch on really how you got into the whole field and kind of where you are now. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm from Buffalo. I'm a 716 guy. And um, I went to Kevmore West. Uh, and I graduated in 98. Um, so that makes me 40, which no one, no one believes that. But I, I am. <laughs> and and uh, I uh, played football, did indoor and outdoor track and field. I powerlifted in high school, and I had a small stint of wrestling. Um, I actually got caught doing both, and at that point in time in athletics, once you were on a roster, you could not cross over to another sport unless you came off the first roster, and uh, so I, I had to quit wrestling, and um, but... We actually had a strength coach at West. His name was Gary Julia. And he offered a service, what was called Power Club, after school every day. And he would train our athletes outside of our phys ed class. And um, he worked with mainly football at first. And we would lift three days a week. Um, with Gary and then we had an in-season and off-season training program all summer um, and that was way ahead of the curve yeah that's way ahead yeah then other teams at the high school started opting in and it, it just took off um, yeah. you're talking 95 to 98 so like we had Gary the we had Gary from '96 through. So, um, and I mean I just bought it. I I just me and a couple of my closest friends just had the iron bug. I mean you couldn't throw us out of the gym. And um, I think it was just because it became very it, it came very natural to me. Um, the very first time I ever laid on a bench, no training, just my boy Mike, we call him Buddha, he was like, let's see how much you bench, because everybody wants to see how much they bench. And I was like, dude, I don't know what's a bench. <laughs> like, I, I, had worked on, I had worked on universals, and he was like, this is a bench, so let's, let's do this. I mean, I was a freshman. And uh, we just started putting weight on. And that day, like, the very first day, I benched 285. Like, wow. that's, that's an arbitrary – like, that, that, that number doesn't sound like anything. But, it but for never so, touching it. Yeah. I, um, two weeks later, I benched 315 for the first time. Like, I mean, I graduated high school uh, with a 425 bench – a 585 squat and a 605 deadlift. So at 18 years old. Um, and those were competition already 
legal numbers, like in front of reps. And um, I just, I just loved lifting weights. Um, a couple, a couple of my buddies' dads were really big into it. We did a lot of group jobs and basement lifting. And um, I wanted to be a, a teacher. Um, I had originally looked at UB to play football and a couple other schools. Of, um, I wanted to be an architect. And football and architecture didn't line up. Um, I, was having a tr- I was having trouble getting accepted to architecture college um, because your schedule with football, and it doesn't allow you to focus on that. And so my backup was PE. Um, I loved my high school physical education teachers. Um, they were great guys. They were mentors. Even the, even the women, they were, they were great. From elementary school through high school, I had great PE teachers. And they were just very influential. And I was like, I want to do that. And that landed me at Brockport. Um, played football. Did indoor and outdoor track at Brockport. And uh, lifted throughout. Um, and then I played semi-pro football. And... Blew my patella tendon out in 07. And I mean, I blew my ACL out in high school and then I blew my patella tendon out in 07. And it was 18 months of rehab from start to finish of rehab, surgery, etc. And I had to basically learn how to walk all over again. Um, I ballooned up to super fat, like 365, 370 around there. And, uh, but, um, within eight months of post-surgery, I squatted a thousand pounds for the first time. I remember that. And, um, it was just, that's kind of been, that was my background into lifting. I just, with Gary and my friends and then even at Brockport, I had a great group of guys around me, uh, Justice Gallick and Steve Schween. Um, Steve Schween's a high school strength conditioning coach out in Arizona. And Justice is the head strength conditioning coach for the New York Jets. Yep. Um, Nate. Nate Harvey. Yep. Nate Harvey was my college football roommate. Um, and we just were not, when we were all at Brockport, Brockport was not what it is now. Yeah, we were very good at football. We did some really big things. Um, but our lifting program was a joke. And between Nate, Justice, myself, a couple other guys, Mike Norman and Steve, um, we fell into a book called Husker Power. And um, it was written by the Nebraska strength conditioning staff. And they're kind of the godfathers of everything. Um, uh, we can really thank Nebraska for strength and conditioning. Um, and it was, we just fell into that. And that was, we basically trained the football team. And then as the years went on, um, we started the strength and conditioning department at Brockport. And 
now it is what it is. Yeah. So, well, that's yeah. awesome. So, that's uh, pretty crazy. So, another question that I have then is you, it's more of a, I guess, a, a discussion. Um, you've really historically done a great job of getting women involved in strength and conditioning. I think, you know, you, Nate, a couple other guys are really um, a big part of getting females of all sports um, comfortable with the weight room and then considering it, you know, as they graduate into adult life. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on that when you work with girls? Um, I think my, in coaching, I think having my educational background puts me in a different realm than other coaches. Um, I'm a teacher first and I can't shake that. Um, so I have that, that teacher understanding, like, I'll have those long-winded, hard conversations first before destroying someone. And I think, like, I think that 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 builds that initial trust. Um, but I sell, like, I sell to the women that there's no boundaries other than what you set for yourself. Um, I train my girls just like I train my guys and I catch black for that sometimes, but I really don't give a fuck. Like sometimes the girls, they can't Why? because you said so. Like I, I've had track women, I've had sprinters, box squat and no box squat, 115, 125 pound girls squat 315 365 like no problem because they found not only they not only did they build the strength but they built that trust and they found that swag in themselves and like that's something i've always sold in the weight room to especially to the women is the confidence and there's something about building that muscle that when, like, I remember having conversations with our young sprinters. Like, do you remember Megan Grace? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember talking to Megan. Megan, she was one of them. Like, Megan squatted 365. Yeah. Beast. Like, um, Melissa Scores, Brittany Dodd. Right. Those girls, they were pushing 400 pounds almost. I mean, obviously... Melissa went to nationals for the short sprints and Brittany went, went from hurdling to hammer throwing. Yeah. Um, but it was like, there's something about when your clothes start to fit different. Right. Like all of a sudden you don't fit in your pants anymore and you're not mad about it. Like you catch your upper back muscles in the mirror and you're like, Oh, that's me. Like, and that was the pre-Instagram era. Right. Like, all of those girls, all of those girls were starting to notice themselves in a completely different way, and their confidence went through the roof. And, 
like even just those girls I named, you couldn't throw them out. You you literally had to pick them up and move them out of the weight room. Steph Powell. Yeah. Like she still lives in the weight room. Yeah, she still lives there. People see Steph now, and they think that's the way Steph has always been. Freshman Steph was not that. Yep. Her story, her, her come up is amazing. It is. And, um, I mean, the saddest part I have for Steph is never getting her a plaque. I mean, she finished 10th and 9th in the nation in the hammer grow. And top eight is all American. But her two trips was 10th and 9th. And, but you would have never, looking at Steph, you would have never thought that girl. She was a 50-plus meter hammer thrower. I mean, she's a 400-pound squatter, mm-hmm. a 500-pound deadlifter. Like, and that started in college. Like, she, po- I have video on old, like, devices of her pulling five at Rockport. Like, and, I mean, I'll never take credit for where Steph's at now, but... It definitely helped push her in that direction. Like, she's one that she bit into the weight room and chewed it up and just never let go. And um, I think I struggle with the guys sometimes because guys know everything. And they might have read a book or someone's dad might have told them something. Or they are they're strong and I remind them that they're... 65 bench press ain't shit <laughs> and, and it's like guys guys really get caught up in all the bullshit mm-hmm. and um, until you crack until you help them get to something and actually show them like that first time they squat 600 pounds or bench 405 then their eyes open and it's like oh Okay. Um, and it doesn't mean that I, I don't like training guys. I, I, love, I love making people strong. I, I really... People ask me about strength conditioning, and they're like, why do you like strength conditioning? And it's, that's it. I love helping males and females literally get as strong as they possibly can. Like, I love it. And people think that's weird, but... If you're lifting and you're not trying to get as strong as you possibly can, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, Carly and I talk about that all the time. Like, if I know, Carly, you've said this before, that if I'm, as your coach, in it more than you are, then why are you here? Yeah. Yeah. No. That's how I treat it. Uh, Yeah, for anyone. Male, female, doesn't matter to me. Like, if I want something more than you, why the fuck am I putting in the time to help you get stronger? And to your point, Ed, like, I I agree with you. I I personally like coaching women more than I do men. I feel as though women are more moldable, I guess is a good word that I use, and a little bit, I wouldn't say coachable. Sorry, Jordan. Jordan's Uh, pouting right now. (laughs) For those who don't know, Carly's my husband's coach. (laughs) Typically, women don't come in with a preconceived notion of 
how to train or what's best. And, and is it more of like they just don't look it up themselves? Maybe, but that doesn't necessarily mean that at first you don't become a little bit more coachable. Also, men I found have tendencies to have worse habits coming in to training than women do. Does that mean that women weren't taught correctly at first? No. That just might mean that they've never been taught at first at all. But also, men will always, typically I've found that men will always come in with, all right, I've done this in the past or I've done this previously. And, you know, when you kind of enlighten them on how to do it a little bit more, it takes a lot longer for them to understand that muscle function as opposed to with a woman, they kind of have it click a little bit faster. We ran into that with, uh, we had a wrestling team working with us at the gym this year and I was helping Kyle like run them through a session. They were doing deadlifts. So that's my favorite lift to coach um, with the teenagers. And he asked me to step in. So I'm talking to this one kid and I was like, Oh, like how much have you deadlifted in the past? And he said something like, he's like, Oh, I was 315, but it's probably not to your standards. And I'm like, "Eh, probably not. We'll take a look. And I didn't let him go past, you know, 185 because it was horrendous. I mean, it, I'm like, you're going to hurt yourself. Um, you know, I'm all for letting form bend, not break, but he would have broken everything. So, yeah. um, I definitely think that uh, sometimes with the guys, there's some of those bad habits that you have to go in and readjust a little bit, um, just to kind of refresh their, their settings. There's just so much more ego. Yeah. In with men um and it's and I, and I get it um you almost you almost have to break them first you do yeah for sure um and, I mean, it, it's enjoyable I mean I, I see it with I see it with track I see it with coaching sports period there's just we just raise our we raise our men differently than we raise our women unfortunate yeah um, that's changing it is um, still right? i think it will continue to change um but i don't know I, i'm very hard on my women i know that yeah i know and, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um and I, I catch some flack for that sometimes but they you all leave different 90% of the time better than when, when I got you. And um, and there's some hard lessons in there, but oh well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's life. And um, I mean, the coaching tree has grown. There's, I, I, have, I have more former women coaching right now than I do men. And I have more former women in strength conditioning right now than I do men. Which is it's awesome. Bizarre. It's bizarre, but it's awesome. So now I know that there's a laundry list. How many athletes that you've? We'll talk just track and field. Um, how many of your former athletes have since gone on to coach in some way, shape, or form? Oh boy, um, I actually have that written down somewhere with an exact number, but um, quite a quite a few are involved in coaching in some way 
either track and field, swimming, football, strength and conditioning, um, collegiate, high school. Um, I'm, I'm actually impressed of how high the number has gotten and people that have stuck with it and made a career out of it. Um, I mean, it's upwards of 25, 30 people at least, like without it right in front of me. Um, so, I mean, if you think of the couple hundreds, well, maybe over 20 years, maybe not thousand or so people that have come through um, and that they were able to get into some kind of teaching or coaching, like, that's a pretty high number. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like a couple stand up, like Maggie, you're coaching. Like Steph does coaching with SNC. Dom was a coach. Um, Autumn Swavely is a strength conditioning coach in Florida. Um, I'm just thinking of like JCon coaches swimming. Um, just names that are popping in real quick. Like, but even out here, like Melissa Scores is gone. She was a high school track coach. Now that she's had her baby, she's going back. There's a number of people out here coaching high school track and field, which is awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's just continuing on the the passion for it. Yeah. So, Carly, I know you had a couple questions. I wanted to bring up something that you were talking about in your journey um, to becoming a strength coach. So you said you went to Kenmore West. When I was in high school, Kenmore West was the, like, primary high school lifting program at least from my understanding it was only cleve hill and Kenmore west so anytime i i would assume you have done the trench trophy when you were in high school and maybe they didn't call it that back then but i know maryville and cleve hill were the only two places that really did high school powerlifting competitions for football players and i will always remember that Kenmore west had this 165 pound kid benching over 300 pounds and I was and in high school I was blown away I mean because even in 98 and to 2008 the strength field didn't really make a lot of progress in that in that time frame like they, they didn't really talk about a lot of different things at least from my understanding and research it kind of stayed where it was to so even see like a 300 or 165 pound kid in high school to bench that much, you know, it was kind of unheard of. Um, and I just remember, like, that whole team was, like, an actual team. Like, they, they were just a bunch of dudes getting together, lifting weights all the time. And, like, our my school had a bunch of, a couple of stragglers. Like, they had uniforms. They had matching shirts. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is this yeah. is something that's super intimidating. Yeah, Gary, Gary did a great job. Um bringing us in. So Gary Julia um, was a powerlifter. Like, he was a former Mr. Buffalo bodybuilder. Like, and then into powerlifting. He was a professional wrestler. I mean, he was a mountain, a mountain of a man. Um, Gary would come in and he was a foot, a feet up bencher because he had a, a broken back. And he didn't squat with us anymore, but he would still bench. And he would come in, 
It sounds like he created a culture. Oh, his culture was deep. Um, like, you, you legitimately felt bad if you missed lifts. Like, it was like, man, I didn't go to Power Club today. And, like, um, obviously, now, don't get me wrong, there, there were kids that just lip serviced it and didn't give a shit, but um, they also know what the bench feels like. Not the bench press, but the sitting on the bench, not playing bench, and uh, that—that's what they get. Um, yeah. And I, and I, and sports was completely different for me. Like sports gave me an identification. Like I got through high school with sports. I got through college with sports. I played semi-professional, post-collegiate sports, and it, it led in it led into a career, and. Um, I understand I was very fortunate, sometimes in the right place at the right time, but I also worked my balls off for a lot of things, too, and I don't know, the, it, I, it all just comes back to the experience that I had with my PE teacher, as Emma Gary, and I try to, I, that's one thing I really focus on through coaching, and I, that's, I get myself wanting things sometimes more than my athletes want it because of what my experience was. I want everyone to have the experience I had. I, I want you to leave knowing that you exhausted every opportunity you had and wherever the cards fell, they fell. And 
there's there's times I definitely want it more than other people and and I get that early in my career that was very hard on me I could not grasp why people would just kind of be and just settle the, for the complacency and um and now as I've gotten older I start well, okay you just don't want it like I, I can only I, can, I know I can only push you so hard because you're not going to come around yeah and it doesn't mean that anyone gets treated any differently but you you get you get back what you put in and like I have kids on the team right now Coach O didn't talk to me today in practice. Well, you also took 90% of practice off. I watched you. Like, you you don't think I see you. I see you. Like, I see you slapdicking in the corner. I see you skipping on your drills so you could get to folds. Okay, like, you thought you were sly and you got away with it. You didn't. Like, and I've watched you do that for the past two weeks. So... I don't have anything to say to you. Like, and it's just, I don't know. I, I, it's generational. The kids definitely think they're getting away with shit. And it's like, you're not. Like, <laughs> I still see you. <laughs> but, but it's like, I'm a back to the wall guy. Like, I keep everything in front of me. And it's like, I see you. Like, I, I, taught, I taught high school and elementary phys ed. I used to watch any people screw up. Like, and I can see you. Like, um, so, I don't know. I, I, I do. I still catch myself from time to time being full in, like, too deep. Like, I'm in too deep, and you're not with me, but I can't pull out, I can't pull out so let's go. <laughs> and I think that's, I think that was the primary reason why I didn't get into the public sector of strength and conditioning because I felt from my experiences, you know, I interned with uh, UB, Niagara, Canisius, and Buff State. And going through all of those programs, obviously you see a clear difference. Not even a clear difference, I should say. I mean, Harvey did a great job at UB. So I guess I was spoiled in seeing that. Whoops. There we go. We're back. Never mind. Okay. All right. So I did. Throwing your phone around the room. (laughs) Right. I had a great experience with Nate Harvey, and I guess, you know, the culture he created at UB, you know, you had at least 90 to 85, 85 to 90% buy-in from all of the students across all of the sports. You know, between, no offense to volleyball, please don't take this offensively, but the weight room volleyball players just didn't care as much as your sprinters and your throwers. And, and now granted, I was only with the Olympic sports at UB, so I only got to see uh, those specific sports. And at the times that I went, I you know was only seeing throwers, um, throwers, swimmers, basketball, and volleyball. And there was a clear discrepancy between all of the sports. However, the buy-in from the majority of those sports at a Division One level, at the culture that they created, you were getting buy-in from all of those sports. Um, now, as you go down the tiers of Division One to Division Three, I saw what could have been my life, and I 
don't think I wanted that for me personally. And that was something I don't think that I thought to my head in my head. I'm like, okay, if someone's paying me for a service in a private sector, I know I, at least I'm getting that. So if they're going to pay for something, I know that they're going to work a lot harder for it. Um, yeah. And that was something for me that was an eye opener. And that, I think that's where I started to change my mind on, all right, am I going to do private or am I going to do public based on, you know, where Maggie and I went to school and, and I definitely chose private and I, you know, I couldn't be happier in this situation. And, and I know you have a, a different experience in that sense, but I definitely know for me, um, private was the way for me to go. Oh yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. Dude, there, there's days. Oh my, I am so envious of the two of you. There, there, there has been days where I have just sat and I've talked to Maggie about this. Yeah, we've talked about this a bit. With, with my head in my hands. Just, I, fuck this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of dealing with this bullshit. I want to open yeah. up my own. And I want to go train the people who want to be trained. Yeah. And I, even over the past couple of years, um, I mean, I, I went from director of track and field in cross country, head track and field coach throwing also at one point. I was also the director of strength conditioning at the same time. And I was teaching at the university also. And I mean, I was working with 19 of our 23 teams. And it was just like... It's like overload. If, if you don't want to be here, get out mm -hmm. like i would just i would just i don't ever want to take the, the gift of strength away from people but like i've had no problem running people out of the room like if you don't don't you could pay lip service to your coach you want like volleyball or basketball whatever sports like what however you need to get by with your coach go do that just don't waste my time in the way yeah get out like yeah. Well, I need to be here to live. Then lift. Then then train. But do not. This is not grab ass. Like, stop fucking with your teammates. Stop bothering people. You're a distraction. You're unsafe. Get out. And um, there's times like I I'll cross paths with Maggie at track meets and just be like, Do you need a Do you need a strength coach? Do you need a Are you hiring trainers? Like, should be like, why? I was like, because I need a job. And it's just like, I, I'm done with this. And there's just, strength conditioning sometimes comes in waves for me sometimes. There's, there's days when I can't imagine doing anything else than being a strength coach. And then there's days where I'm like, what am I doing? Why, why do I do this? This is stupid. And... I need to get out of this profession. And it's just because I get in too deep. Mm -hmm. I, I get in, I don't, like, I don't understand why people just pussyfoot through stuff. And, um, but I feel you on the private sector. I, there's, there are times all the time when it's like, I'm just going to open a gym and you're going to pay for a service. And if you're paying for something and not maximizing it, then you're just stupid. Yeah, you're just wasting your yeah. own money. 
there was a there was a guy a colleague that well, I don't know if Maggie ever went to school with him, but he he was probably one of my good friends in my graduate degree. His name is Nick Mancuso. Yeah, I know and, the name. Yep, Nick and I um, were very similar in that sense. His experiences get a lot better experiences in in the strength conditioning realm um he interned with the steelers i think for a year and a half two years uh in their strength conditioning department and i think that's where he was like just blown away um and then he just finally went private sector on his own um and he like we talked about it after and he he he's in rochester too um he just opened up a strength conditioning place called Elevate Barbell or Elevate 585 or 585 Elevate. Um, he was the strength performance director for Midtown Athletics. Okay. And then just left, um, just left to do his own thing because he couldn't, he couldn't deal with it anymore. He, he couldn't, he couldn't deal with it, the confines of the structure that he had to be in, and he couldn't deal with the lack of work ethic just from, you know, at a place like that parents kind of just pushing their kids to do something that the kids don't necessarily want to do and he just couldn't deal with it anymore he just wanted to break off and do something that he could control a little bit more and that's again you know someone who put in jesus how how long ago did we graduate 2000 well i was 2014 you were a little later he would have been he would have been 2015 then he would have been 2015 so it only took him five five ish years to to feel that way and you know i give you a lot of credit like, for, for being able to do what you've been able to do for as long as you have to appreciate that thank you i have a couple just like light-hearted questions um what is your favorite throwing event to coach and why that's because i know what my favorite is so i'm curious what yours is yeah that's um that's interesting so i I loved coaching Hammer, ironically, but shot put is where it's at. Like, shot put is the main event. Yeah. Like, and I tell people, and people ask all the time, they're like, dude, how do you always have good shot putters at Rockport? And, well, you were a shot putter, you don't under, like, no, I've had great hammer throwers. I mean, Jake Basher was a 59-meter hammer thrower for me. Like, I've had great hammer throwers. Still do. But shot put is... That's where it's at. Yeah. Like, and, I, and, I, and I push it like that. So I think, like, that rubs off on the kids where it's, it's like... I tell people, shot put's the only event that pays. Like, I mean, I if you look at the I'm who's the, who of the Olympic, you know... Team. Everyone knows but, the shot putters. But, like, on the visa stage, like, pole and shot put get you money. Yeah. Like, at least they used to. They might not anymore. But it's, like, the main event is... And people go, oh, shot put's the coolest. And the, or hammer's the coolest. Like, arguably javelin's probably the coolest. Or discus. But <laughs> um, shot put is just... I love coaching shot. And... I don't know. Yeah. And even, and even women's shot putters, there's just something about 
of shot put just being heaved. I, I don't know. I just seeing like Ryan, Ryan Crosser went twenty two ninety one last night. Stupid. Down, down in Atlanta. I, I I haven't looked it up yet. I just saw it. Um, like it popped through, but like that's just you creeping on seventy five feet. Yeah, it's like, just unreal. Madness. Um, but yeah, shots probably. There's a there's a there's a different energy when it's shot day. Yeah, that's funny because I I think I agree. I go back and forth on hammer and shot. I think shot was my personal favorite. I mean, I had a love hate relationship with the shot, but um, I think I also do enjoy coaching hammer because it's so new for people. Um, so it's yeah. cool to see it click. But then there's something I think primal about the shot put to just see someone just push and implement that far. Um, so I would definitely agree. And then same question for the main lifts. What's your favorite and why to coach and then to do? Uh, I love coaching the squad. You and Carly both. (laughs) That's true. There, There is just something about squatting. Like, some people are built to the bench. Some people are built to deadlift. Some people are really good deadlifters, naturally. Some people are great bench pressers. I've watched the squat make or break people. And I, I don't know. I just, there's something about watching kids grow confidence under a squat bar that just drives me. Um, and the the made attempts and the failed attempts. I, I just I the squat definitely. Yeah, it was and and, and squat for me became like I used. I mean, I love bench. I, I I'm a good bencher, even for how I'm built. Like I have very long arms, but I also have a 60 inch chest. And but like I still. I've benched 545, almost 565 raw, and in the high sevens in a shirt, touched, I think I I took 805 in the gym, um, so it's like, I, I've moved weight in the bench, but and it, it used to be my favorite, but they're just getting under that squat bar and watching weight really start to creep is just, and I mean, I, I hate to deadlift, so I tell everyone it sucks. Deadlift does not suck. I disagree with you on that. And I, and I use this example. Squat sets you up in a meet, bench solidifies where you're at, and then you deadlift to pull whatever you need. Yeah. If you need, whatever your total is. If you're trying to break a rec, it could be 135, and that's your deadlift for the day. That's how meaningless the deadlift is. So. <laughs> well, we'll agree to disagree on that one. But it's funny when, uh, um, I remember when Ray Williams came and did the squat seminar at mustache, um, someone asked him, they're like, why, why do you love the squat? And he was like, there's just something about having that weight on your back and then all you need to do is stand up. But it's such a, yeah, it's such a like journey, like going down and up. There is something different in your brain. Yeah. When you come up 
out of the hole and you feel like you're lifting the weight of the world, I, I just, it takes you, it takes you somewhere else. And I mean, I, I started lifting weights at 14 or 15 years old and I've watched so many of my friends and former teammates that are now former athletes the day their college eligibility exhausted, they stopped squatting. And I just don't understand. And not because of injury. Now some of my some of my buddies that are fucked up, okay, I get it. You you laid it out there. But the ones that aren't, why well, don't ever have to squat again? I'm like, well, that's a shame. Buy calves, seeing hamstrings, like a feeble. Like, I don't know. I just gave a lecture yesterday on, it was a group through Johns Hopkins. Um, it was a pregnancy support group that my sister-in-law asked me to speak on. And it was talking about strength training during pregnancy. And I told these women, squat. Like, that's one of the best exercises that you can do. Just, I mean, just do body weight. But, and I was talking to Ashley Morozik about this yesterday. Like, squat. It's just, it's such a necessary movement for everyday yeah. life. So. Yeah, I agree. Squatting is probably the best exercise you can do, period. I can't think of a better one. Yeah. Uh, I have one lighthearted, well, I don't know if it's lighthearted, but I have one more question. Sure. So the NCAA finally approved, at least in Florida, that athletes can start receiving some sort of financial compensation. What are your thoughts on that? Um, that's interesting. So having, I mean, I'm going into either 18 or 19 this season, I think, will be 18 years coaching, and then my own previous five years as an athlete before that of involvement with the NCAA. Um, I, I can see this at various levels um, where this is something that should have happened a long time ago, um, but then I can also see at the Division One. I, I think I think it's a necessary. I think it's necessary. Um, yeah, you, we're giving those kids scholarships. They've earned those scholarships, etc. It's a business, um, but it's a job. Like, and you were you interned at UB. You saw it. You saw what that timely commitment is, plus trying to obtain an education. Um, Division two, I would argue too. Uh, D three, dude, you're there because you want to be. Like, no, yeah, you were recruited. But no one's keeping you there. Like, let's be honest. I'm not trying to take away from Division Three. Obviously, being a Division Three coach, um, but I, I think it's about time. Honestly, I, 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 I don't, I don't see a problem with it, um, especially if you're using their likeness or if you're making money off of them. You could at least give them a little bit back. And, I, and I, know there's, I know there's various opinions on it, but um, I just, I, I, I think for, 
what they're generating, I, I, I think giving them a little piece of the pie back is is just fair. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people have made a lot of money off the backs of those individuals. So. I mean, I, I think back because I, I think it's only in Florida right now. Um, I, I didn't read too much other too much more into it to see what's the timeline for other states if there is a timeline for other states. Um, but I remember right. Tebow Mania down in Florida when he was in college, and I could only imagine if that was around, you know, what the law is now was around when he was in college. What what that would have done oh my God. for Florida University. Or, you know, even further back, yeah. you go back to Miami U, and, you know, you see that team, you know, the Willis McGahee team, the Ken Dorsey team, like, that would have been incredible. I mean, now, granted, they were receiving financial compensation, just illegally. So, sure. Um, but I can imagine, I mean, just Tebow, Tebow mania in general, I, I can only imagine what could have been um, for him. He was one of the most transcending college athletes of all time. I mean, it just sure. swept swept across all of the nation amongst any sport. I mean, there was people who didn't even like college football knew who Tim Tebow was. Right. That's right. No, I'm, so I'm, it's I'm, just it's interesting. I'm I'm excited to see what is done with it and how it's perceived once it's done. Uh, yeah. You know what. What people start to find out. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think it'll, I don't think it takes it south. I don't think it makes it a negative. I really, I don't think kids are going to lay off. I don't think it's going to make it. I don't see it watering down. I just, I don't. I don't know. I, I see it only being an upwards movement, the positive. Um, I, I don't think it ever makes it all the way through all the levels, nor should um, But, no, I think it'll be interesting to see the upper the upper end of that and how far it makes it through um, of yeah. the state and whatnot. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you for chatting with us for, yeah. for a little bit. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I could talk to you guys all day. Yeah. So. <laughs> just geek out for a little while you got any other questions we can hammer them out real quick if not it was thank you for having me yeah um, I appreciate it I've I've listened to every cast you guys have put out I think it's awesome thank you um, thank you thank you uh, I know that this is podcast of I would love to see the logistics of the past through the quarantine I know a lot of podcasts have come to life um, through COVID, and I hope they stick around because there's some pretty good ones out there. Um, like I said, I've, I've listened um, in my travels and whatnot. I've, I've listened to everything you guys have done. I think it's awesome. Um, and I just I like how the spectrum you guys have covered. Um, your restaurant rating one was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> What were your thoughts on our pizza one? What's your favorite pizza? <laughs> that is true. And that's hard because obviously growing up in Buffalo and now living in Rochester and there are just some things that you don't grow out of. Yeah. Like 
chicken wings have come up. Like everyone has upped their chicken wing game in Rochester. They they buy the same wings that are sold in Buffalo now, so they're all bigger. Because when I first came out to Rochester, they were served pigeon wings. Out here. <laughs> <laughs> like, but now everyone has at least upped their game. Now there's some arguable sauces. Like there's just some trash sauce, but um, pizza. Because you kind of have the clashed out here. You have Western New York still trying to put their hands in, and then you have downstate. Everyone thinks they can do New York City pizza, but blended with Buffalo pizza, and it's like no, like it's it's one or the other. Um, but I'm a fan of the old school pepperonis. I love the little grease cups, mm-hmm. like. That's where I'm so, like, the old spots, like, Bocce Club and, um, Mustachios is really good. I'm not trying to give people these shameless plugs. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and there were just, a, there were a couple, like, growing up, and now they, now they're going to escape, like, Lenovo, um, La Hacienda. Like that one, oh, yeah. that, that's a throwback right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Franco's. Um, yeah. There's know, times. Like, but, but there's there's some pretty big names that you remember. That's good. Yeah. Like I I have to. Like I make sure that like pizza is one of those things when I come home, like. I really I want pizza. When I'm in Buffalo, and like, do you get wings? Like, do you go to Duff's and blah blah? Like, I grew up with Duff's. Like, Duff's is cool. It's fun. Anchor Bar is fun. Like, but I want, I want a real chicken finger set. I want pizza. Like, I want those foods when I come home. The staples. But it's like, but it's, it, you don't realize, yeah, like how different food is until you're outside of the food. And it's like, I sound like a total fat ass right now, but I don't care. <laughs> it's different. Yeah. It, it is. And that's fine. And, but, like, uh, Lenova's um, grilled barbecue chicken wings. Jordan's just sitting here, like, <laughs> shaking his head. <laughs> Their chicken fingers are, uh, I would have them delivered to my house out here. Like, that's, they're just that different. And... Mm-hmm. But the pizza is, so Salvatore's out here does a really, I would say right now, arguably they're probably the closest to home for pizza. And I'll probably get murdered for that, but that's fine. Um, It's just, to me, they're the closest to what I could get an hour away. It's worth the drive. (laughs) It's good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just make the drive. There's a place in Lancaster. Um, now the name escapes me. Picasso's? Maybe. Is it on Broadway? I think so. Yeah, it's Picasso's. They're, they're, oh, Picasso's. Yeah. Yeah, um, amazing. They're my number one. They, like, I, I'm not ashamed to say, like, 
when Jake was in school and even like a couple of the other like Lancaster people. I remember you guys driving out to get food. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you guys be like, oh, we're going to Mighty Taco. We'll be back in two hours. <laughs> I, I'm, not a, I'm not above that. Like, I, back, back in the day, I made the Mighty Jives. I made the Picasso trips. Like, just called, hey, I'm ordering a pizza. I need it for five o'clock. Hop in the car. Drive, just drive to Picasso's, eat as much as you can, basically sleep on the way home, and then eat the rest. So. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. <laughs> no one's judging. Yeah, but, no one's um, judging the trees, though. Right? This, this was awesome. Yeah. I hope I, I hope I obviously answered your questions and gave you guys some yeah. insight. It's Absolutely. always weird. It's always weird talking about yourself um, instead of lifting and throwing and stuff like that, um, which I don't feel like we talked about at all, but that's that's fine. We did. Uh, and, uh, no, I'd love to come back. Yeah, we'd and, love to have you back. And when this is over, when not this, but when COVID's over, it'll be fun to sit with you guys and have a beer. We'll order pizza. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Um, We'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. See ya.